If you've got your Bibles today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to start this new series called Becoming Us. We're going to look at what is it about the church? What is it about uh, the church is supposed to be about? What are we going to, what are we supposed to be for? What are we supposed to be against? How are we supposed to operate? How are we supposed to treat each other? We're going to look at those things in this series called Becoming Us. But before we get there, I want to start by asking you this question. What is the greatest team that you've ever been a part of? What's the greatest team that you've ever been a part of? Think about it. It could be maybe you were in a band in high school, like a high school marching band, or maybe you had some special project at work. Maybe it was a sports team when you were younger, or maybe there's like a Bible study that you were thinking about. A group of people. What is the greatest group of people that you were ever a part of. The greatest sports team that I was ever a part of was my middle school basketball team. Seventh and eighth grade basketball team. And some of you guys have heard me talk about this team before. We went undefeated for two years. Undefeated two straight seasons. And we were only behind once. And that was two points because we lost the tip off in the county championship final. That was it. We dominated. We had not one, but two guys on our middle school basketball team who could dunk. Now imagine being in eighth grade, scrawny, five foot eighth grader like I was, right? And having someone like dunk on you, like in a basketball, it's just not fair, right? And so we had two guys that would dunk. And, and, and what was my position? I'm glad you asked. I was a shooting guard that was afraid to miss. And so I was afraid to shoot, right? So I had seven points, not in a game. Over the course of two seasons, I had seven points, right? So that's, if you guys don't know anything about basketball, that's not good. That is not good, right? And so I had seven points over the course of two seasons. My real talent, my real talent, was I would sit on the end of the bench and wave a towel when our team did something really good. Like I was that guy. I was like the, the hype guy for our team, right? So that's what I did. I loved that team. Why do we love teams so much? Why do we love being a part of a team? We, teams rally around a goal and they, they come together. They're a group of people that have different talents, different abilities, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, different ways of looking at the world, and they come together and they do something great. Teams uh, provide a place of belonging. You learn more about who you are in relation to the other people on your team. Every person lends their strengths to the collective and they cover one of each other's weaknesses. They cover the weaknesses of the other person. They provide a place of belonging. Teams provide a place for becoming. As you practice your strengths, right? My strength was waving a towel. As I practiced waving a towel, I got better at waving a towel, Right? Right? I don't know how you get better at that, but I got better at it, right? As you, as you, 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 you practice in your strengths, you become even stronger, but you also become aware of your own weaknesses and limitations in comparison to other people. I understand that I might not be the best three-point shooter in the world, but I have a teammate who is, and so I pass them the ball. I make sure that they're successful, right? So it, it, I, I, I learn about my strengths. I become stronger in my strengths. I become aware of my weaknesses and my limitations in comparisons to others. Belonging to a team brings trust. It allows me to open myself up to others so that I can grow. Teams provide a place for belonging. They provide a place for becoming. And teams provide a place for believing, that all of your effort, 
all of that time in practice, all of that time putting yourself out there, all of that time being vulnerable, all of that time is going to be worth something in the end. Together, we can do something miraculous. Teams are greater than the sum of their parts. When you're on a team, math gets interesting. It's not one plus one plus one plus one equals four, right? How many of you guys have ever been on a team and you're like, man, we came together and we were able to do more than just what we were able to do uh, alone. Leviticus talks about it this way in verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 8. Five, you shall chase a hundred. Five of you shall chase a hundred. That's 20 times. And a hundred of you shall chase 10,000. That's a hundred times. And your enemy shall fall before you by the sword. Math gets really interesting when you're part of a team. And so today I want to kick off this new series about the church, our team as the body of Christ. In this series, we're going to look through First, First and Second Corinthians as our guide to becoming the team that God designed us to be. This isn't just designed for self-help. This isn't just about you becoming a better version of you. This is about us becoming us, right? It's about us growing together. What are we talking about when we talk about the church? What are we talking about when we talk about the church? In English, we, we use the word church. It's from an old German word, word uh, Karika. And in Dutch, you hear Kirk. In German, it's Kirchi, I think. Anybody German? Am I pronouncing that? I butchered that, right? Close enough for hand grenades? All right. So German is, is Kirchi. And what this word means, it means the Lord's house. It's the place that we go. That's not necessarily negative. After all the things I've done, I'm welcome in the Lord's house, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we're welcome into the Lord's house. And so when we say the word church, that comes from the word that means the Lord's house. But in the New Testament, when we look at the word church, when we look at when Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, the word that he uses is a Greek word, and that Greek word is ekklesia, which means the called out ones. The called out ones. It wasn't a place that you go. It was the identity of the people that were in the the group, that were in the meeting. In Spanish, this translates to the word iglesia, right? So you've heard this term. That's, That's ecclesia, iglesia. It's the same word. And so it means called out ones. It was used for the community of God's people 109 times in the New Testament. And so when the New Testament is talking about the church, It wasn't talking about the place where you go on a Sunday morning. It was talking about the group of people that God called out. In the Bible, ecclesia refers to three things. The first thing it refers to the local assembly of those who profess faith in Jesus uh, and allegiance to Christ. The second thing that it it designates a universal church. So it's not just us. You guys know that, right? It's not just us here that's meeting right now. It's not just us here that's worshiping God. All over the world, millions of believers are coming together to worship God. And the church, this designates that whole universal church. And the third thing, it was God's people. Let's look at each of these. The church is a local group of people that gather to worship Christ. In the classic Greek, where this word comes from, the terms are almost used exclusively from political gatherings. 
right? That's what it was. It was when a group of people came together to make decisions, to grow together, and, and to, to become, uh, to, to have um, uh, a meeting to conduct affairs regarding the public. It actually referred to the meeting itself and not the citizens themselves. And so if I was a part of an ecclesia group and then I went away and I just decided that I don't want to go to that ecclesia group anymore, guess what? I'm no longer ecclesia. It's only when I come together with the group that I'm a part of that. And in a culture where that prides itself on individualism and cobbling together my own personal truths and my own beliefs and my own worldview and my own way of doing things, this is important. A lot of people think, well, I don't have to go to church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of an ecclesia group. I don't need to have that around. But what this word teaches us is that it is about the group. I need to be in relationship with other people. I need to come together with other people. I need to to, to have other people pouring into my life, and I need to, to pour my life into other people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says it this way, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that's when Jesus comes back, drawing Near. So the church is a local group of people gathered to worship Christ. The second thing, the church is a global collective of all of those groups across all of humanity. Re- Revelation uh, 7 verse 9 and 10 says this, And as I, I look and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of, uh, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying aloud, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's not just about a local body. It's not just about connective church bringing the kingdom of God to our community. We have other friends. We have other co-workers. We have people who are coming alongside of us and doing the same thing. That's why when we, before we launched our church eight months ago, uh, I met with Pastor Daniel down at Mountain View and Pastor Bill over at Rock Point and Pastor Luke over at Redemption and Pastor uh, Bill Weaver at Ascend Church down the road. It's so many other pastors because these guys are not our competition. They're our coworkers, right? So we're not, we're not in competition with another church. We're, we're coworkers. We're locked arms together because when we win, they win. And when they win, we win. The church is a global collective of all groups across humanity. Finally, the church is the people called out by God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you, that's, that's us. Say, that's me. That's me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God called us out of darkness and into his light, and we proclaim his glory. This is the church that you're a part of. This is what we're talking about when we talk about church. If I could rewind us all to the very first message that I preached here at Connective Church eight months ago, it was this, that God wants to take me and turn it into we. God wants to take you and turn it into us. 
That's what a church is all about. It's about how we grow together, how we are called out together. We're called out of darkness into light together. However, sometimes today's world, it seems like the world is getting darker and darker. Does it feel like that to you sometimes? It feels like, man, the, the, the darkness sometimes feels like it's winning. And that's just a weird place to be because we're supposed to be, this is what First Peter says, we're supposed to be called out of darkness and into light. So why does it feel some days like the darkness is winning? When you walk into a dark room, what's the first thing you look for? The light switch, right? The first thing you look for is the light switch. We never ask ourselves, man, why is this room so dark? It's dark because the light's not on. It's dark because the light's not doing what it's supposed to do. We, we never ask ourselves that. The best way to drive out darkness is not to complain about it. Can you imagine walking into a dark room and just being like, man, this room's so dark. I think I just want to get in the fetal position real quick. Hold on, just guys, let me do this. Just, oh man, this room is dark. Oh, it's dark. But how many of us live like that? We complain that the room is dark. We complain that the world is dark. We complain about what's happening on the TV and on the news and and in politics and in our world. We complain about it. And instead of just saying, you know what? God called me out of darkness and into light and I can live as light wherever I go. I'm walking with a light switch and that's the Holy Spirit inside of me everywhere I go. And so we, we, we don't complain about darkness. We realize that we're called out as the church into light. So the question we should be asking ourselves when the world seems dark is not why is the dark so dark, but why is the light not coming into the room with me? I got to get to Corinthians because I know this is going to make so much more sense. So in, in Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians were written to a church in the city of Corinth right, in the city of Corinth, the ancient Greek city. And, and the city of Corinth was a heart of, of uh, important trade and, and in the ancient world. I'm not used to like laying down on the floor and getting up, so I'm a little out of breath right now. <laughs> Gotta do some cardio. Corinthians, that was funny. You can go ahead and laugh at that. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. The city of Corinth was a, uh, the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. It was a cosmopolitan. It was a global city. What does a cosmopolitan mean? It's not a magazine. It's not a drink. Cosmopolitan means that there are people from all over, all kind of different people, coming together in this city. And they, they, they had many, uh, they thrived on trade, but Corinth had the reputation, listen to this, of sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. Does that sound like a place that's familiar to any of us? Sexual morality, religious diversity, and corruption. Culturally, does that sound familiar to us? The church that Paul planted in Corinth when he did it in Acts 18 began to waver under all these influences. They had influences from this camp and this camp and this person and that person. And they, they had all these influences and they began to waver and they became divided over serious issues. So Paul has to write not one, but two letters to this church to help straighten them out, to help say, guys, this is how we should be. This is how we should live. This is how we should operate. This is how we become us. And this is what he says, and, and we'll start in the very first verse of the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul addresses them, Paul, 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he recaps what, how they started and reminds them of how things should be in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Jesus Christ. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into this fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But things aren't going the way that they should be going in the Corinthian church. And so Paul's like, let's talk about it. There's an elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it is reported to me by Chloe's people, Chloe's people are the snitches, I guess, reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I, what I mean is that each of you says, listen to this, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos, or I follow P, uh, C, Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's first issue with the Corinthians was that they were divided by which men they followed. Does this sound familiar in our church? Does this sound familiar in the, the American church today? They were divided by which men they followed. We, today we've got keyboard crusaders who are tweeting and Facebooking, trashing other believers because they don't agree with this guy or they agree with that guy. And, 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 and it's just, these are church people. These are church people. And Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he's like, guys, it's not about you follow this guy or you follow that guy or I, I like this guy or I like that guy better. It's not about that. Today, we've got people who follow different pastors. Well, I like Joel Osteen. Well, I like John MacArthur. Well, I like Brian Houston. Or we got some denominations. Well, somehow my denomination over thousands of years and the broad diversity of the church, we're the ones that figured out how the Bible should actually be translated. And everybody else got it wrong. Like they think that there's, their denomination's right or the pastor that they like is right. And, and, and the light, just like in Corinth, was not as bright as it should be because they took their eyes off the target. The answer is not in a denomination. It's not in your favorite Bible teacher. Listen, I could care less of being known for being a great preacher or writing a book or whatever. I could care less about that. What I want to be known for is I want to be known for teaching you how to read the word and listen to the leadership of the spirit. That's what I want. If we did that, we win, right? So that's what I want. And, and, and today, when we look at this, when we look at what's happening in our church, in the American church, and we look at what's happening in the Corinthian church, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities of people who took their eye off the ball. The answer is not in a denomination. It's not in your favorite preacher. It's not in a political leader. The answer is in Jesus. 
And so Paul continues. He says this in, uh, uh, in a little bit later in chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age, let him become a fool so that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world. So if you're looking for wisdom and you're going to the world for it, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they, they are futile. So let no one boast in who? Men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All are yours and you are in are Christ and Christ is God's. It's all about Jesus. Paul teaches us that if we're defining ourselves by who we support or who we reject, anyone aside from Jesus, we're missing the point. The church is only unified under the name of Jesus. And so as we're becoming a church, as we're becoming the church that God wants us to be, we have to understand that we're unified under the person, under the leadership, under the direction of Jesus. And we cease to be unified when our focus is on anything or anyone else. It's all about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, uh, for our glory. None of, none of the rulers of this age understood this. And if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received the Spirit of the world, but the spirit of uh, who is from God that we m now wait, let me read that again because I read it wrong. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from uh, who is from God that we might understand things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the Spirit of God is here to guide and direct us into truth. God wants to reveal things to us through the Spirit. He wants to help us understand things that are freely given to us by God. The first and foremost is that God gave us His Son. That's the very first thing that we have to understand. God gave us his son and we are Christ and Christ is God's. And so we have to be submitted to his leadership. And, and that's how we have to start as a church. That's how we have to start as a body. We have to get back to the main thing. And that's Jesus. We'll wrap up today. And before I do, Aaron, you can come back up, man. How then... Just with this thought, 
How then can we discern the Spirit's direction in our lives? With so many voices, with so many books out, with so many things that we hear on TV and in the news and all this stuff, how then can we discern where the Spirit is, where, where God is leading us, where God wants to lead me as a follower of Him, as someone who's a part of a community? How do I discern what the Spirit of God is doing? Later in his letter to the Galatian church, Paul shows them how to identify the Spirit's presence. It's really simple. In Galatians 5.22, you've probably heard this verse before. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that's the evidence that something is there. So if I'm, I'm looking for an orange tree, right, what do I look for? For orange fruit. If I'm looking for an apple tree, what do I look for? Apple fruit, right? If I look for a pear tree, pear fruit. So, and when I find a pear tree and I find the pear, I see the pear. Oh, that's a pear tree. That's what it is. I know it's what it is. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit is in something, that is participating, that is leading us towards something, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Are you seeing these things in places where you're looking for light. All these influences, all these books, all these people that are telling us to follow this, believe this, think this way, do this, don't think that. These persons are lying. These persons are telling you all these, these influences that we have in our ears, talking to us all the time. We have to look and we have to listen. We have to say, is the fruit of the Spirit on the message that I'm hearing right now? Because it's easy to maybe counterfeit some of these things, like you could, but you can still pick the counterfeits out. You may hear a message that, that sounds like love and joy and kindness, but it's co completely devoid of goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's not a message of the Spirit. You may hear a message of self-control. You need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you need to like, it's all your responsibility. If you take better responsibility, then you would be successful. You may hear a message like that, but if it's not, if it's devoid of gentleness or kindness, that's not of the spirit. So when I'm listening to messages that I hear, whether it be from the pulpit or a book or a political leader or social media or television, wherever it's coming from, and I think that's it, that's the answer, that's the light. I have to put it to the test and ask myself, is the Spirit speaking to me in this? Is there love in this? Is there joy in this? Is there peace in this? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is it in this? Because man can come along and man can give you a message. Man can come along and man can say, hey, this is what you should think. This is what you should believe. But we're not about who we follow when it comes to men. We're about who we follow when it comes to Jesus. If the Spirit's not in it, I don't want it. The light that we're searching for is Jesus and Jesus alone. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father,
So many today are divided. So many people are getting pulled one direction or the other. We're identifying ourselves by who, which people we follow, which pastor we follow, which group we're a part of, which all these things. But Lord, let us become a church. Let us become a group of people that's about you. Let us bring the light. The light that you gave us when you called us out of darkness. Let us bring that wherever we go. God, I'm not trying to change someone's mind to agree with my political views or my doctrinal views or whatever. God, I'm just, I just want them to connect with you, Jesus. And I believe your spirit will take care of everything else. And so, Father, today I pray for each and every person here. God, I pray for those in this room that feel maybe they they look at what they hear on TV and they, they have fear that's creeping in. Maybe anxiety is, is creeping in. Maybe it seems like darkness is winning. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just fill them with power right now in Jesus' name. Just like your word said, you've not given us a fear, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. God, that is my prayer in Jesus' name for every person here.